Hello, welcome to Time Personified. This is a podcast about astrology, and I'm an astrologer. My name is Francesca Mamlin, and I guess I want to start by acknowledging that um, I know that this recording is super like echoey. Um, I just moved into a new apartment. And for those of you who have been following me for a while, you would know that I have previously been living the super minimalist backpacker life, and I don't really own anything. And we're working to change that. We're working to slowly furnish this apartment and make it into a home and expand into the space. But at the moment, I don't have any carpets to put down, or I don't have any carpet in the apartment, um, and I don't really have any rugs to put down to sort of absorb some of the echo. So that's just kind of where we're at. And this podcast, I've recorded it on the road. I've recorded it in several different countries. I've done recordings in hostels, like laying on my stomach in a bunk bed. So, you know, audio quality is something that's important to me uh, in terms of I want you to be able to understand my words, Um, but perfection is not. Perfection is never a priority, and I try to show up to this podcast whatever I can as regularly as, as possible, even if I can't show up and be perfect, and that's kind of a lesson that I'm I've had (laughs) that I've carried with me in my years of being a podcaster and it's something that I'm carrying with me as I move forward in my journey I I definitely now that I am in a stable living environment living situation I definitely want to return to my original intention of showing up to this podcast on a bi-monthly basis and just sharing my reflections sharing what I have on my heart uh, in terms of like the energy of the current astrology and the kind of contemplations that those are bringing forward for me. And sometimes I'll have a guest with me because one of the missions of this podcast is that I bring people from all different walks of life and all different professions and backgrounds to have these discussions with me that are centered around the themes that are coming forward from the current astrology but really expand into the human experience because astrology is really just a bunch of archetypes that come together to describe what it means to be a human being we are all the entire zodiac and the point of astrology is not that it's cancer season right now or that it's a new moon right now or that I'm an Aquarius or maybe you're a Sagittarius. That's not the point. We do have certain energies that are prominent during certain times of the year uh, and every, every person has certain archetypes that their soul has emphasized but we are experiencing the entire zodiac um, through being a human and so yeah um that being said uh that, that was kind of like a tangent but to bring it back to um the the center of where my thought process is moving um i just moved uh again for those of you who have not been um honestly i haven't really been posting a lot about my personal journey um, I haven't, I've actually been kind of silent um, on this podcast for, for a while, and especially online. I'm, I'm really deeply uh, evaluating my relationship with social media at the moment, actually considering moving away from it entirely, um, and especially with the things that I do professionally. I'm a professional podcast producer, and then I am also an astrologer, uh, and I'm really contemplating um, just how I can continue to grow and reach my audience and build my audience without having to use social media because it does not fit 
with my energy and the way that I want to structure my life. Um, that was another tangent, wow. Um, but yeah, so I haven't been sharing what my life has been <laughs> over the past like year. Um, I'm gonna give you the brief, the very, very brief cliff notes of my life so that we can get into like, I, I came here, I turned on my microphone today because I wanted to talk about astrology. And I promise you that we're getting to that. Um, but um, basically the last year um, was a pandemic. I experienced the pandemic just like everyone else. And I was in Cambodia. Uh, I basically got stuck in Cambodia and spent an entire year there. Not planning, I did not plan to live in Cambodia for a year, but that is how my life played out. There were many highs and lows to uh, my year in Cambodia. It was an incredible year, and it was also a devastating, heartbreaking year. And there were moments where I couldn't believe how lucky I was, and there were moments where I couldn't believe how alone I felt. And there may be a time where it's relevant for me to really share the ins and outs of the story, but I'm still honestly kind of processing everything. But uh, this year, the, everything that I've been through recently, oh, and I guess I, I forgot uh, to mention one of the more prominent parts of this last year was I ended up taking in two foster puppies while I was in Cambodia. And because I couldn't bear the thought of them uh, having to grow up and live and possibly die on the streets of Cambodia, I went through an incredibly lengthy and nerve wracking process of bringing them back to the US. And I'm really happy to wake up every morning and know that each puppy, they don't live with me anymore. I've given the puppies away to close friends of mine. And uh, I'm really happy to wake up every morning and know that Biji and Tula are in the US. Biji is in Portland, Oregon, and Tula is in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they both went to states that start with the letter O, which is a coincidence that probably has some meaning to it that I haven't really thought about much. but. I wake up every morning and I know that they are safe and they're happy and they're loved and they just get to be dogs every day. And so the reason I kind of bring that up is because I probably wouldn't have even left Cambodia if I didn't have a reason to because I didn't really want to come back to the US. I didn't really feel like I had a home in the US. I didn't feel like I had a home anywhere. And so after having kind of Basically, I was sort of forced to come back because uh, there were other circumstances, but the main driver of me coming back to the U.S. is I was like, I just can't let these puppies grow up in Cambodia. And so then uh, once that whole journey was over, I found myself in the U.S. wondering what I'm going to do next. And I just decided that maybe it was time for me to, after several years of just kind of like going where the wind took me and floating around in several different countries living out of a backpack I decided it was time for me to get an apartment and I was intuitively pulled to the city of Miami why I came here I don't really know it's a question that I kind of get asked on a daily basis and I don't really have a clear answer it was more just I had to go somewhere and it didn't really matter where I went uh, so I just got to choose a, a city and I chose Miami and so here I am in Miami uh, I've been living here for a month now and I just recently moved into my, my apartment and my main objective um, now we're, we're getting ourselves into the astrology now uh, we're getting ourselves to the point of why I'm sharing my life story uh, my objective arriving in Miami, um, really anywhere I would have gone. My objective is to build community uh, because I, one of the things that I learned from COVID uh, is that I did not have a stable community. I had a network. I have an international network because I've you know, gone to lots of different countries and met a lot of people, but I don't really have like a sense of belonging. So that was something that I'm really it is something that I'm really looking to cultivate. 
in Miami. And summer is a really great time to be doing that. We are in the first weeks of summer and it's a great time to be out in the world, to be connecting with new people and with old friends. And I'm an Aquarius personally, so any time of the year, community is a really big emphasis for me. And I have found some connection through uh, the Miami Pagan group. And it seemed like, okay, so I found this group on meetup.com. If you're new to any, if you're ever like in a situation like me where you're brand new in a city, you don't know anybody, I highly recommend meetup.com. If you're in Miami and you're into the spiritual stuff, definitely check this group out. It's basically a major, like a, it's a group of women and they get together once, twice a week and talk about the tarot. And I'm going to be at every single meeting from now on because it's basically a, a group of women meeting to talk about the tarot. That's anything I could have hoped for in my social life. So join the group, shut up to my first event. Uh, it was a tarot and tea event. Um, I'm so excited because <laughs> I get to talk about the tarot with people and the person leading the group, uh, she threw out a suggestion. She, she asked people to throw out suggestions of uh, like what are some tarot cards that really kind of freak you out? Like tarot cards that you pull during a reading that make you feel uneasy. Uh, for those of you who do not read the tarot, there are a few tarot cards that freak people out. Like traditionally, they just freak people out. Uh, the really obvious ones would be the death card, the tower, the devil. They're cards where if you're reading for somebody and those cards show up, I usually say, okay, don't be scared. You're not going to die. Like it's just people have very visceral reactions to these cards. And for some reason, I kind of felt compelled to sort of speak up and, and suggest the moon card. Um, and I guess my thought process behind it was like, the moon card isn't one of those obviously scary cards, but like historic, historically, I have not loved when I see that card show up for myself. When I, sh when I show up to my tarot deck and I want clarity, I want guidance on something, and the moon card <clears throat> shows up, I'm like, seriously, <laughs> that's not the answer that I wanted. And the reason for that is because the moon card, um, to be very basic in how I describe the moon card in the tarot, it's really about uh, being in a moment of uncertainty and sort of embracing not knowing. Uh, and I guess that's something that I maybe need to work on. But uh, the person guiding the discussion, her name is Susanna, she's awesome. I'm really excited to have connected with her. She led us through this really beautiful discussion about the moon card and it sparked some personal reflection for me, uh, especially uh, about what the moon means in astrology. And we're in cancer season right now, which is ruled by the moon. And I've just, I spent the last, the few, this was last week that it happened and that we had this the discussion and I've spent a few days really contemplating the themes and what came up and I was just thinking how perfect for me to share some of these thoughts uh, as we are coming up on a new moon in Cancer. There is a new moon in Cancer on July 9th and 10th and I really feel like this is a powerful new moon and I think it brings some energy that it brings some new things in that were a long time coming. And the reason that I say that is because so currently we're, we're experiencing eclipses during Gemini season and during Sagittarius season because that's where the nodes are at the moment. Uh, last year, the nodes switched uh, the, in 2018 and 2019, the nodes were in Cancer and Capricorn. So 2018-2019 and then actually part of 2020 the eclipses were happening during Capricorn season and Cancer season. We had a really powerful uh, solar eclipse on the summer solstice of last year and that was our last Cancer eclipse for a while. And now just a year later 
we're experiencing this beautiful new moon in Cancer. And it's the first time in a while that we've had, actually, yeah, it's the first time since the eclipses that we've had just a regular new moon in Cancer. So whatever work, whatever difficult uh, reflections and processing you might have experienced during the Cancer Capricorn eclipses of 2018, 2019, part of 2020, I think that maybe some of those things come into fullness and birth a really sweet new beginning on on this new moon and I'd like to offer some of my reflections on the archetype of the moon within the context of empowering and connecting to the feminine and how the moon can be an ally in the process of liberation particularly when it comes to feminine liberation because uh, I plan on titling this episode Smashing the Patriarchy by connecting to the moon. So that's what the reflections are going to be centered on. And I do want to clarify that when I talk about the feminine, which I will be saying feminine, femininity a lot in this episode, and when I say the feminine, I'm, I'm not talking about gender. I'm not at all talking about gender. The feminine and women are not the same thing and they don't have to exist at the same time. They can, but they certainly don't have to. And whether you are a man or a woman or any other gender identity that exists, uh, which there's infinite, I suppose, uh, whatever you identify as, you have your own unique blend of what the spiritual world would label as masculine and feminine energy. The masculine and the feminine are a polarity and they are an expression of duality. And a big part of astrology is exploring the concept of duality. Duality is something that is very specific to the material world. Uh, Spiritual teachings uh, generally agree that duality is something that we experience on earth in our limited perspective. And the truth is that we're all one. But because we live on Earth and we're humans and we live in the material world, we're working with duality. And the unfortunate thing about astrology, uh, especially the astrology that we practice today, I guess astrology in general throughout history, um, and also the tarot, is that these were created by men. Um, And the symbolism that we encounter in astrology and in the tarot it has a lot of patriarchal stereotypes. Like you don't have to look any further than the season that we're in right now. Cancer season is the archetype of the mother. And that's a very loaded archetype. People have really complicated relationships with the concept of mother. But the point of astrology is to get to everyone has the archetype of mother, no matter what their gender, no matter if they've birthed a person, or ever will, or anything like that. Everybody is the archetype of mother. And really, if you get down to the core of it, at the end of the day, we're all our own mother. And part of being an adult, I'm going off of a, I'm going on a tangent, but I think it's relevant. Part of being an adult is that you learn how to be your own mother and your own father. And as a kid, obviously, when you're young and you're not you're you're in the process of evolving psychologically you have these hopefully you have these figures who are filling those roles for you and again like you don't have to have like a male father or female mother uh, you can have one person that fulfills both of those archetypes but you have those modeled for you as a kid and then part of growing up is sort of stepping into those roles yourself. You need to be mothered even when you're an adult, but part of becoming an independent human is learning how to be your own mother, how to nurture yourself, how to feed yourself and clothe yourself and love yourself. And then part of being your own father is abiding to a structure and having discipline. And this is a whole tangent. And I could, I guess I could do a whole episode about like, mothering and fathering yourself and see like it's hard to talk about this stuff without using this very patriarchal language like we don't 
have the vocabulary that is updated to where human consciousness is at the moment. And I think a lot of uh, the work that modern astrologers have to do is, and modern tarot readers, is that we have to update this language and we have to refine it and make sure that it fits where human consciousness is at the moment and our current understanding of gender and uh, psychology and society and all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm so here for that process and I'm excited uh, about that. Uh, astrology is constantly evolving. Like the ancients did not know that Uranus, Neptune and Pluto existed. So astrology is, is not a stagnant field. It's, but in this moment in time, as I'm recording this episode, I still possess a limited vocabulary. Uh, so <laughs> as I talk about this stuff, if you find that your understanding of gender is different than mine, or if my reflections don't fit the way that you understand your gender, that's totally okay. Uh, and I always try to, to speak gently, you know, I don't want to trigger anybody or make anybody feel that their experience is not valid. You know, I'm a person, I make mistakes. Uh, so I just hope you know that uh, I am always speaking from my heart and for, from my heart and from a really deep love for humanity in every way that it expresses. So uh, I just want to put that caveat because I would never want to make somebody feel like they're not welcome in this uh, little platform that I am creating in this podcast. And I always welcome any feedback. I'm here to listen. And with that, let's talk about the archetype of the moon, because it is, if you're listening to this episode in real time, it's being released as we come into this gorgeous new moon in Cancer energy. So I was just saying that astrology was created by men, and that's pretty much the case with astrology. It was, it was actually created and written down by men. And there is a very specific reason that it was created by men and not women. And that reason is uh, the patriarchy, as the patriarchy began to take shape uh, and the feminine became repressed and oppressed by the patriarchy, our relationship to the earth became broken. And the feminine, the side of us that is deeply oppressed by the patriarchy, the feminine does not have to carefully track the natural the cycles of nature and track the stars and track the moon cycle because the feminine feels them it doesn't have to look at a piece of paper or look at a calendar it just knows and again we all have the feminine within us we all have that capacity within us and the rise of astrology the beginnings of astrology which uh first of all the rise of astrology is incredibly difficult to track because it is so old but as far as we know, it coincides with the rise of agriculture. The agricultural revolution was 12,000 years ago. And the agricultural revolution was the point in human history where we stopped living in harmony with nature and we started to exploit nature. And now when we're, I, I make these really general blanket statements because I'm talking about a movement like the agricultural revolution which sort of culminated over a period of thousands and thousands of years and there was a really big build up into the agricultural revolution where human popula populations began to really explode and really migrate around the the planet and created some mass extinctions and uh, but it all kind of came into fruition around 12,000 years ago with the rise of agriculture. And this was a distinct turning point where we started to actively, as a human race, exploit nature. And this was also the point in human history where the first calendars were created because men, the people who were in power, they were studying natural cycles so that civilization would be able to get out 
as much resources out of the earth as possible. You have to understand the solar cycle if you're going to plant and harvest crops. And what's really fascinating about the agricultural revolution, if we look at it from an astrological perspective, um, is if we look at the astrological ages, uh, which the astrological ages are basically the procession of the vernal equinox. And this is where people talk about how like your astrology sign is different because the stars shift in the sky. That's absolutely right. So we're in a point right now where if you're in Aries, you were actually born when the sun was in Pisces, almost in Aquarius. And the procession of the, of the equinox and the changing of the position of the stars in the sky, this is actually how we measure the astrological ages. And the agricultural revolution happened during the age of Leo. And we are now moving into the age of Aquarius, which we I could have a whole podcast episode about when the age of Aquarius actually begins. But the real answer that most astrologers would come to is that just like I was talking about how things like the agricultural revolution were these massive transitions that took thousands of years same with the astrological ages like we are in the process of moving of birthing the age of aquarius and people won't really characterize the age of aquarius until well after our lifetimes are over but the agricultural revolution happened in the age of leo and we are currently in the age of aquarius aquarius and leo are a polarity. So in this age, right now, in this moment in human history, we are feeling the culmination of what began during the agricultural revolution. We are experiencing the Aquarius side where we continue to innovate. We live in a very innovative scientific society. And then we're also experiencing the depth of its shadow, which I think anybody who is paying any attention to the earth right now knows that the agricultural revolution and the exploitation of the earth has some severe consequences and we're actually going to get into that in this episode the agricultural revolution brought in calendars most calendars uh, that have been created throughout history are centered around the sun and the moon because the sun and the moon have very obvious cycles. Uh, they, and they also have a very dramatic effect on life on Earth. It's really hard to uh, show tangibly the effect that Mercury, Venus, or Mars, or Saturn, or Jupiter, it's hard to measure the effect that they have on the Earth unless we're really paying attention. But the sun and the moon, even people who don't believe in astrology, uh, you can you, you can convince them that the sun has an effect on Earth. It's very obvious. Uh, the solar cycle, like I said before, they tell farmers when to plant crops and when to harvest crops. So the solar calendar and the sun is the focus of most agricultural civilizations. And the sun, archetypically, is a godlike figure. It is God. A lot of old civilizations, ancient civilizations and ancient spiritualities have the sun as like a central deity. And the moon, uh, the moon is connected to the feminine. So the sun is masculine and the moon is feminine. If we're talking with about this polarity of masculine and feminine, uh, the moon, uh, because the moon is feminine, became outcast from human consciousness at this time because the focus shifted really deeply into the solar energy. And again, this was the age of Leo. Leo was ruled by the sun. So there was this overemphasis on the sun and an outcast and even oppression of the moon. And human history between 12,000 years ago and today, uh, you see this gradual shift where humanity kind of develops this fear of the moon. The word lunatic comes from the word lunar. Uh, there's a general uneasiness with menstruation. And then, you know, if, we, if you study any era of history, you can find examples of this, the burning of witches 
and just generally the way that women are treated and the way that the moon is spoken about in literature and the full moon was considered a time is still considered a time where people go crazy uh, if you, even if you talk to like police officers or doctors today they might say like yeah like people kind of lose their shit during a full moon and the reason that people kind of lose their minds on the full moon is because we're not working with the fullness of the lunar cycle and when we try to get to the root of why we have this like mystery and fear of the moon it really comes down to the fact that culturally we have this really broken relationship with the feminine and in turn we that the feminine is connected to nature the the earth is our first mother uh, and kind of our only mother really our our main mother and we so a broken relationship with the feminine means a broken relationship with the mother which means a broken uh relationship with nature and there's a lot that needs to be reclaimed here on a civilization level because we can i i really believe that we cannot innovate our way out of this climate crisis the only way that we can successfully address what we are doing to the earth is if we reclaim this relationship that we once had with the earth. It's funny that I'm even saying relationship because like we are nature. It's not like we can be separated from nature at all, but this illusion that we are separated is also kind of like fueling this problem. But there's so much healing that has to be done uh, psychologically to these archetypes in order to continue to exist as a human race and continue to to live we're, we're literally going to exterminate ourselves uh, yeah this is why I love astrology uh, because astrology is this it's one of the many paths back to nature and like I said astrology was created by men because they didn't have the masculine well to say that the masculine doesn't have this like relationship with nature and its cycles that would be a very incorrect statement um but when the masculine outcasts the feminine and oppresses oppresses the feminine then they lose this that connection with the cycles and that um intrinsic knowing uh and that oneness with nature and i love astrology because it's a roadmap back uh, and in Western culture, we fear things that we don't understand. When something appears erratic or unpredictable or non-linear, we don't like it. We need to control it, uh, which is why we're kind of like dominating and destroying nature. The Western world, uh, the Western psyche, the Western mind needs to control and understand everything. And the moon, is is an archetype that is not compatible with that that need the moon is different uh every night it's in a different part of the sky it's a different size it's a different brightness it can look if you don't know the lunar cycle it can look really chaotic because the moon's different every single night but if you track the lunar cycle long enough you can see that there actually is a perfection to it it is regular it is predictable you just don't fully understand it until you move through the full cycle and you start to realize that it's repeating itself the moon is repeating itself everything in nature is repeating itself uh, the sun is the same if you have if you've never gone through a full solar cycle before your first winter or your first sunset it would be terrifying to see the sun disappear or to see the sun get colder if you had no idea that eventually the sun was going to come back eventually it would be spring and the warmth would come back the rest of the planets are the same and it's funny because uh, the ancient greeks were actually really freaked out by the planets because the planets would just move around the sky in a way that did not make sense to them like from from our perspective on Earth, sometimes the planets are moving in one direction and then they randomly turn around and move another direction. And the Greeks were kind of freaked out by that. 
And Plato is actually the one who insisted that there had to be some kind of mathematical perfection. There had to be some kind of regularity <laughs> that just we aren't seeing yet, that they weren't seeing yet. And he was 100% right, because uh, the planets do have very distinct cycles that can be tracked and predicted. And as astrologers, we know where Mars is going to be next year. Like if you give me a specific date, uh, any year, I can look at an ephemeris and I can be like, yeah, Mars is going to be right there. I can point to where it's going to be in the sky. The planets are predictable. Even though they appear erratic, there is a perfection to it. And another factor with the ancient Greeks um, and the reason they were kind of freaked out by the planets is because they believed that the Earth was in the center of the universe. Uh, so they did not yet know that the Earth, in fact, orbits the Sun. Uh, and so it made it really difficult to explain why the planets, who had to also be orbiting the Earth, why they would be moving the way that they were moving. Uh, Plato didn't know that, the, um, that this Earth was orbiting. Like, he didn't know that either. Plato also believed that the Earth was the center of the universe, but he sensed that there had to be something that he just wasn't seeing yet. He didn't, he knew and he asserted that he just didn't have all of the information yet. This is why I love Plato, because Plato, I really recommend if you're into like philosophy or whatever, I really recommend reading Plato, uh, because even if you don't agree with what he says, that's not even the point. He had such a deep awareness of how limited human perception could be. And most of what he teaches is just what you see isn't necessarily the truth. Um, and he had his ideas of what the truth actually was, and you can agree or disagree with that. But I think the core of what he believed was, you know, what you see, uh, you, if you follow just what you see, then you don't have the whole truth. And that's the lesson that the moon teaches us. What you see is not always the truth. Sometimes you can see really clearly. Sometimes I'm sitting right now in my apartment. There's a flower in front of me. I can see very clearly that it's a flower. I have the whole, actually, I mean, I, don't, I really don't have the whole picture. I, I can't see the roots. I know the roots are there, but I can't see them. So see what you see, you, we always have a very limited view of reality. Sometimes the answer is right in front of us. Most of the times the answer is not right in front of us. Sometimes the world doesn't make any sense at all. The moon teaches us that maybe we can't explain something, but that doesn't mean that there's no explanation. There, uh, again, going back to Plato, Plato taught there is an answer to every question. The answer exists. You might find it or you might never find it. But that doesn't, whether or not you know the answer, doesn't like make it not exist, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, just like the moon. Even when the moon is not visible, it's still there. The moon is always in the sky, orbiting the earth, whether or not we can actually see it. And the moon is our guide as people who were born in post-industrialized Western cultures. The moon teaches us how to cope with uncertainty. The moon teaches us to accept that there are some things in life that we're never going to be able to understand or control. We can seek the truth, but we have to be okay with the possibility that we might never find the truth. Uh, and again, we live in a culture that values science about everything. Science is awesome. We live in the post Okay, so we live, the scientific revolution was about 500 years ago. And I have this conversation with people all the time as an astrologer. I, I, when people, I'll just, an, a little caveat, people who don't believe in astrology, I mean, I'm 100% like totally cool with that. You can, you can believe in astrology, you can think astrology is really dumb. Um, I, I'm fine with either thing. Uh, <laughs> I really don't care. But I, I will, I get pulled into a lot of conversations where people challenge me to prove the validity of astrology, which honestly, like, <laughs> I, I get, I get kind of 
exhausted from those conversations and I don't really set out to try to convince people to share my belief system. If you do, that's awesome. If you don't, that's cool. I hope you are happy and fulfilled uh, with your spiritual belief system. And I will always respect other people's belief systems. But, so that was my caveat. But when I get pulled into these conversations about whether or not astrology is real, I do take it as an opportunity to challenge the the western scientific mindset because the way that we think as uh, people who were born in the western world uh, hundreds of years uh, into the scientific revolution we are conditioned that science is the one way to approach everything we as a culture value hard empirical evidence over everything and there are places and times for that type of uh, mindset uh, and there are places and times where that mindset is completely inappropriate and I again bring back Plato's teachings because Plato taught us that just looking at what we see in the material world does not paint the full picture of reality. Even scientists would agree that there are, there are forces that are working on us that we cannot see with our eyes. A lot of times we can't even prove that they exist. We just have some, like, like things like gravity or black holes. Again, I'm not a scientist, so I might say something that's like super incorrect right here, but, but there's so many things that we know are true, but like we can't scientifically prove. Um, and where am I going with this? Oh, right. So when it comes to like people challenging astrology, I kind of use that as an opportunity to, to challenge the fact that we think in a very specific way because of the moment in history that we're born into. And to study spirituality, to study philosophy, to study the things that, that endeavor to go beyond the tangible teaches us another approach. Uh, because everything has a shadow. And I think that the age of Aquarius and pretty soon, well not pretty soon, in a few years, we're also going to have Pluto go into Aquarius. We're going into a period where science is really going to get put into its place because there is a huge shadow to science. And I'm going to go into that. Uh, and this is actually a really great topic for when Aquarius season rules around. There's also a full moon in Aquarius coming up, so I might expand upon this. But I'll start with this. Uh, we don't get to dictate and dominate nature without consequences. Um, again, like the scientific revolution is the culmination of the agricultural revolution. This, this need or this like drive that has been kind of like created in humanity over the last 12,000 years to just dominate nature. Um, some pieces of the human condition are really hard to come to terms with. Uh, like for example, we're all going to die someday. And I think most people, I mean, I feel like there's two types of people. There's people that are honest about being afraid to die. And then there's people that uh, pretend like they're not afraid to die. <laughs> because how can you not be afraid of death? Uh, and what is fear of death? We're afraid of death because as far as we know, we've never died before. Uh, so we don't know what happens. It, the fear of death is the fear of uncertainty, which is what we're talking about, the fear of uncertainty. Um, coming back to the idea that nature is always repeating itself. We'd be afraid of the winter if we didn't know that spring was going to come. So yeah, we're afraid of death because we were forgetting the very universal uh, pattern that everything around us is repeating itself. And it's part of being human to seek answers. Um, it's also part of being human to surrender to mystery. 
And Western culture is really, really good at searching for the answers at all costs. Western culture is not good at surrendering to the mysteries of the universe. We are not good at that. Uh, and there's this very delicate balance I think we need to strike uh, as a civilization and as individuals. I mean, I'm talking to an individual here. I'm talking to you. Uh, and we all have this very delicate balance that we have to strike between finding the answers and finding certainty, but then also just surrendering to what we can't answer. And the moon is one of our biggest guides to finding that balance. When you just look at the archetype of the moon, the moon is the mother. Uh, how do you create a sense of safety for yourself in a world that is so uncertain and sometimes seems really cold and scary? You become that nurturing, loving archetype for yourself so that you can depend on it. Um, that's one of the ways that the moon can guide us. And that also, I mean, I, we, we've been reflecting on the, the, how the moon is different every night, how the moon shows us periods of lightness and periods of darkness, just like moving with the cycles of the moon and really feeling into every day of it, uh, gets us deeper into this lesson of surrendering to the mystery. The other major feminine archetype in astrology is Venus. Um, and again, Feminine, I'm not talking about gender, um, I'm just talking about an energy. The two major feminine archetypes in astrology would be the moon and Venus. And then the two major masculine archetypes that kind of balance those are the sun and Mars. The sun and Mars, sorry. Um, so another thing that Plato wrote, uh, I keep going back, I've been reading a lot of Plato the last couple of weeks, um, so I just keep Plato's just at the forefront of my mind at the moment. And Plato wrote that philosophers should be lovers of wisdom. Uh, he wrote that intellectual tasks, which intellectual tasks, I'm talking about anything from philosophy to science. Intellectual tasks should be approached the way that you would approach a lover. And I, that's a really beautiful way to think about how humanity can move forward with learning about the natural world. Think about what it's like to love another person, or it doesn't have to be a person, um, it, it, even an animal, like a, a, a dog or a cat or, or some kind of um, pet or, or a partner or a child, uh, if you have a child, or it, just think about what it's like to really love someone else. When you love someone, you want to learn everything about that person. Uh, and how do you go about learning about them? Uh, do you knock them out with chloroform and dissect their bodies and look at their organs? No, that's crazy. And I mean, I'm sorry I put that image in your head. I probably put some pretty weird images in your head, but that's the approach that scientists take when endeavoring to understand the natural world. And I know that I, so I haven't spent any time in the scientific field, and I do know that there are scientists out there that have such a passion for nature, uh, and they're really working to save the planet. But I have also worked in a neuroscience lab. When I was in college, there was a short period of time where I worked at my university's neuroscience lab, and I saw some things that still haunt me. There are scientists out there who have no respect for the natural world, or they respect, they, they have very selective respect, and that would turn my stomach. Because the kinds of people that I, that were learning and, and doing research and work in the neuroscience lab, they were future doctors. And they were wanting to enter careers where they would heal people. And the things that I saw them do to animals made me really wonder if those people, I don't know, it just really made me think about how disturbing it is when you have uh, 
very intelligent people who have good intentions, but um, and they also have a lot of resources, and they start to do some pretty dark things. It's kind of like that they're they're trying to get an answer at all costs. Um, how would the world change if scientists approached the natural world with love? Um, again, a lot of scientists do this. There are a lot of scientists out there who are on a very dark path. Um, it's important to understand um, we are living in the scientific revolution. It started about 500 years ago, and if we're really looking at the cycles of history, we are in for like a you know, 10,000 year process that is the scientific revolution. If humanity lives that long, because it is possible that we could do something crazy and cause a mass extinction, but we are moving into this like several thousand year process and we're, we're very much at the cusp of the scientific revolution still. And the scientific revolution happened in intimate connection with the rise of capitalism and with the rise of industrialism. The scientific revolution, capitalism and industrialism all happened together and they are, they're, com they're completely intertwined with each other. Uh, because of the way history has played out. The beginnings of science, which the word scientist was coined in the year 1812. So the field of science is only a couple hundred years old and it was birthed into the world as a profit-driven function. Um, it's like the agricultural revolution repeating itself and beginning a new cycle. See, nature repeats itself. We, when we say that we, uh, people are always saying that history repeats itself. Every history professor ever, everyone who's ever written about history ever says that history repeats itself. We say it as if we're describing some kind of flaw <laughs> that humans are so short-sighted that we would repeat history. And a lot of people try to study history in an effort to not repeat it. But we repeat history because we are nature. We are natural beings and nature repeats itself. I'm not saying that we're gonna repeat horrible things. You study history so that you can understand what happened on the previous cycle and when the same themes roll around, you have the opportunity to make different choices because everything is working in a cycle. Humans live in cycles, nature lives in cycles, and I mean, that's all that we really have to, to study. We have humans and we have nature. Um, and it all just moves through cycles. And the conclusion that I arrive at here, this episode is about smashing the patriarchy with the moon as our guide. The conclusion that I arrive at here is that we embrace the mystery. We go inward, we find that repressed feminine, that part of us who knows that there's a bigger picture who can feel the bigger picture, even if we can't see it. This is also the shadow of science, is that when all of the energy is funneled into just finding all of the answers, we alienate that part of ourselves, the intuition that intrinsically knows and is intrinsically connected to the mystery. And we allow the pursuit of knowledge to become an act of love instead of an act of domination and control. That is the mission. That is the invitation. And that is the reflection that I have for you as we collectively experience this new moon in Cancer. I'm wishing that everybody who is listening to this has all of the support and love that they need to find their feminine side and to find that inner mother. Um, what do you need to do today to make yourself feel loved and to make yourself feel nurtured? That's the other kind of uh, invitation on this new moon. So I hope you enjoyed this reflection. Um, it was a really, I had a really good time outlining this episode. I was, it was a super uh, energetic, nerd session. I'm a huge history nerd if you haven't already picked up on that from listening to this. If you're interested in kind of like going more depth 
going more in depth on some of the history that I was talking about, I think the main resources that I kind of pulled from are um, my favorite history books, which is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari and The Passion of the Western Mind by Richard Tarnas, and then a, a few other um, things that I, I just kind of pulled from my memory, really. But uh, all of the knowledge and information that um, I have that I used to kind of piece this episode together came from mostly those two books. Before I say goodbye, um, I would like to extend the invitation to subscribe to my new email newsletter. I will have a link in the show notes. I am starting this new newsletter where every Monday morning I'm going to send out a very thoughtful reflection on the astrology for the, the week ahead. So if you're interested in getting a little update uh, maybe you can make it a monday morning practice to sort of take a moment to reflect on the astrology i break down every day and i also talk about the overarching themes for the week and you can sort of use that to think about how you can align uh, with that with your goals for the week and i i hope to be of service to you there through the weekly newsletter and my, I also am going to be sending a little bonus newsletter every new and full moon. So if you're listening to it now, the, the new moon newsletter has already been sent out, but you will be able to receive the full moon in Aquarius newsletter, which will come out in two weeks. And again, I hope that uh, you join that if you find it interesting. I, I don't have any intentions to like try to sell anything. So if you're worried about that, um, don't worry about that. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to now close this episode out and I hope that you found this helpful and inspiring and I send you a lot of love and thank you for being on this journey with me and until next time. It probably would kill me at the stars with you Or should I get over my fear of saying they Make me think of me and you But oh I know Well I hope That one day You'll know That you are the moon And I can't even start to describe it The way you look From down on the earth where I sit in silence Cause I, I am that star that if you stood and looked at us you'd say we're only inches apart but the cold cold truth remains even if we feel the same oh you and i were a billion miles away get over nothing but it's everything I say and maybe I'll forget about it all oh and I'll pretend that it's okay but oh I know well I hope that one day I'll say